you've ever wondered why it's important to go to church and what the role God intends for you to have within it, then you've come to the right place. Today, Dr. J. Vernon McGee takes us to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 4 for the answer to these questions and so many more on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus. Today, we got a really practical study in God's Word. But before that, we've got a letter, and it comes from a prisoner who listens to our Polish language program, and he writes this. I'm serving a life sentence, and the first three years were very hard. I tried to commit suicide more than once, but my attempts were unsuccessful. Then I met a fellow prisoner who kept sharing about his faith in Jesus Christ and God's love for me. After a while, I believed in that love. We prayed together for forgiveness of my horrible sins. I had unspeakable, wonderful experiences in my prayers, and from then on, Jesus has taken hold of me and my life has changed. Whenever I'm tempted, I repeat to myself that he that is in us is stronger than the one in the world. Please pray for me that Jesus will win the many hardships and battles going on in and around me. Well, isn't that a great reminder to pray for those in prison? Prisons of every kind. You know, the truth of the gospel on through the Bible has the ability to reach them in unique ways. So let's pray that God's word will strengthen and sustain every person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Now here's Dr. McGee to share a beautiful quote to introduce our study. I've been upon the mountaintops of glory and delight. By faith I've seen my Savior there, his garments snowy white. I felt the waves of ecstasy come rolling o'er my soul as God poured out his wondrous love on one he has made whole. But it was in the valley dark that Satan's fiery thrust caused me to lean upon the Lord and in him fully trust. There were no shouts of joy and praise, just feelings of despair. Still I was girded round about by Jesus' loving care. But now I walk upon the plains where gentle breezes blow. The valleys are exalted, the mountains all brought low. You see, I've learned to walk by faith and not by feel or sight. And by that faith I'll reach my goal, a land both fair and bright. I still ascend the mountain top. But faith has brought me rest, and there with Jesus I can set my head upon his breast. So, Christian friend, if days are dark and cares beset your way, just trust in him, our loving Lord, and read his word and pray. Trust in him, read his word, and pray. That's great advice. And let's pray now as we begin our study. Heavenly Father, bless your word so that all who hear it may be filled with your grace and the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn our attention to Ephesians 4 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, last time we actually came to an altogether new section of the epistle to the Ephesians. We have been talking about the church, which is the body of Christ and that the head is in heaven. We're joined to him. The church is a body. The church is a new man. The church is a mystery. All of this heading up in the person of Christ, yonder at God's right hand. Now, you can get so involved in that, as someone has said, you can be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good at all. 
And a great many people get carried away with that to the extent they don't realize that we're to walk down here in a very bad world, very mean world. And that is where the rubber meets the road. We're now getting down to the nitty-gritty. And last time we saw that Paul said that how we're to walk. Now, walking is down here, and that's what the body is to do. We saw first the exhibition of the body, and he spoke to the individual, how the individual is to walk in lowliness, meekness, and then he widened it out to the church. There is one body, one spirit. And then he consummated it with a great, tremendous crescendo. And he said, one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and in you all. Now, when he says he's above all, we're speaking there, actually, about the transcendence of God. God is transcendent. He's above his creation. He is not dependent upon it. The Lord doesn't depend on oxygen, you know, to get by. He doesn't have to bring up some supplies from the rear. He doesn't do Saturday shopping in order to have food for the weekend. He's not dependent upon his creation. He is transcendent. He is not only above all, but he's through all. And that means this universe you and I live in, he's in it. (laughs) And he's in you all. And he's motivating it and moving it according to his plan and purpose. That, you know, adds meaning to life today. It makes it sort of worthwhile. It gets a little humdrum every now and then, doesn't it? There is a monotony. Now, I love to make these tapes. But you know, after I've been in this study here every day for about 10 days, making two and three tapes at a time, I'll let you in on something. And I hope you won't tell anybody about it. And that is, it does get monotonous, you know. Get weary and that sort of thing. But, oh, there comes in that great thought, all of this is in the plan and purpose of God. And then I feel like singing the doxology or the hallelujah chorus. And when I do, everybody moves out of earshot. But I sure hope the Lord listens, because he said it's to come from the heart, making melody in your heart. And evidently, that's where I make it, because when it comes out the mouth, there's no melody there. I always think of the experience we had, because this... To me, it's like a great symphony orchestra that's presented to us here. And you and I are to walk in step with God. We're to walk with the music of heaven today. And it's like a great symphony orchestra. I like to illustrate like this. When I first went to Nashville as pastor, some friends there invited me to go with them to hear a symphony orchestra. They bought a ticket for me, they said, and they wanted me to go. Well, now they thought they were doing me a favor, but you know, there are other things that I'd rather do than go and listen to a symphony orchestra. And I recognize that I'm a real peasant when it comes to music. I don't understand it at all. But you know, I got a great message there that day. I went with them and I sat down. We got there a little early and there was quite a stir in the auditorium as people were coming in. Then lights went on on the platform or the stage, I guess I should say, and I noticed all those instruments that were out there. And then it looked to me like over a hundred men came out from all sides, all the different wings. And they came, each one, to his own instrument. I guess they did. Didn't sound like it. 
I was told that was tuning up. And each one played his own little tune. And I give you my word, you have never heard anything that was medley, nothing that was melody there. And it was terrible. And very frankly, why, they quit after a few moments, which we were very thankful, and then they disappeared again in the wings. And then when the time came, the floodlights came on, footlights, I think they call it, they came on and then these men came out again. But this time they were different. Before they were in their shirt sleeves. This time they were in full dress. I tell you, they had a bow tie, beautiful white shirts on. Oh, they were very nice. And each one came to his instrument, but no man dared play it. And then the spotlight went on one of the wings to our right. And there stepped out the director. And he bowed, and there was thunderous applause. And he bowed several times. Then he came over to the podium, and he picked up a little thin stick. And he turned around, bowed again, but applauded. Then he turned his back to the audience there, and he lifted that little baton. And when he did, you could have heard a pin drop in that auditorium. And then he came down with that little stick, and he sure got a lot of music out of that little stick. You have never heard anything. It was a thrill, and it made goose pimples on you. My hair stood on end. It really was thrilling to hear that first tremendous number. And as I sat there, because after a while it got a little boring, I began to think about that. And you know, that's the picture of this universe. You and I are living today in a world where every person is playing his own little tune. This group is carrying his little placard, and he's protesting against something. He's against everybody else. And everybody seems to be out of tune out of harmony with everybody else. And it doesn't look very good in the world today. And you wonder what the outcome's going to be. Well, it's very pessimistic as you look toward and listen to some. And you look toward the situation today. I tell you, I can understand why Simon Peter began to sink in that ocean. When you see the waves around you today, you think this is it. But friends, one of these days there's going to step out from the wings of this universe, from God's right hand, the director. <laughs> He's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when he does, he lift the baton, he's going to lift the scepter and nail pierced hands, and when he does, everything is going to be in tune. He's imminent and he's transcendent. What a tremendous thing. He's above all, through all, and in you all. So don't give up. The director's coming and get us all in tune. Now, we come to the section where we have the inhibition of the new man. The inhibition of the new man. The church now is to walk as a new man in the world. Now, before there was to be the exhibition, the church is to be an extrovert, to witness, to manifest in the light. Now... The church also has inhibitions, and inhibitions are important. The little child doesn't have inhibition. And the church is not to be like a little baby all the time and manifest itself as a baby. It is to grow up and develop some inhibitions. You know, there are just certain things you don't say at times, you know. But a little child would say them. And I told a story, I think, about going and visiting with some people, and, oh, they were church members, and they put on quite a performance. 
how pious they were and religious they were. And then we sat down at the table, and they called on me for the blessing. And I returned thanks, and a little fellow was sitting there in a high chair. I think he's about maybe three years old. The little fellow, he looked around, you know, and he turned to his mom. He says, what did he do? <laughs> he had no inhibition. They just didn't return thanks there very often. Little fellow didn't know. Now, the church, though, is to have inhibitions because it's to mature and to grow up. Now, will you notice the process that he gives? But to each of us was given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, if you'll notice here that he's given to believers gifts, and this is a section again on gifts. We have it in Romans, the 12th chapter. We have it here in this fourth chapter of Ephesians, and then we've already seen it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. That actually is the larger section on gifts. Now he's saying here that believers are to give diligence to maintain the unity of the Spirit, you see. And how are we to do that? And that does not mean that each is to be a carbon copy of the other. It's not me too proposition. Each believer is given a gift so that he may function in the body of believers in a particular way. Now, let me come back and say something that we said in 1 Corinthians 12. Gifts are given to individuals that they might exercise that gift in the body of believers because they are a member of the body. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, he says that to everyone there is this manifestation of the Spirit and it's given to profit with all which means simply this, a gift is the Spirit doing something through the believer. And he's doing it not for the private devotions of the individual, but he's doing it in the body of believers to build up the body, that is, for the profit of the body. Now, no gift is given to an individual to develop you spiritually. It's given to you to function in the body of believers that you might benefit and bless the church. And I hear someone say today, and I've had many letters like this, Oh, Dr. McGee, we do not speak in tongues in the church. We do it for our private devotions. I can say to you categorically from the Word of God, you're dead wrong. A gift was given to profit the church, and you have no right to selfishly use it for your own profit. In fact, the matter is it's not a gift if it's being used that way. A gift is that you are a member of the body, and every member of my body is to function for a very definite reason. Imagine this morning when I came down to the study. Imagine my eyes saying, well, we are sleepy today. We'll stay home. You go on down. And they'd say, we want to have our devotions. Well, I want to say to you, friend, I couldn't get along down here without my eyes. I need them in making this tape. And my legs brought me down here. My eyes are looking at the page of Scripture. And my tongue is cooperating a little, I hope. And I hope my brain is. So that, you see, it's when you're exercising a gift, you're benefiting the church. Now, that is the thing that is quite obvious here. Each believer is given a gift so that he may function in the body of believers in a particular way. 
And when he does, the body functions, and that's where you get the unity of the Spirit. Together with this gift is given, you see, the grace to exercise it in the power and fullness of the Spirit of God. Now, each believer functioning in his peculiar sphere, he produces a harmony, as does each member of the human body. Now, when one member of my body suffers, Paul says all of it suffers. And therefore, when you will not function, exercise your gift in the body, you just throw us all out of tune. And then he says in verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto man. Now, he did two things. First, he led captivity captive. Now, you'll notice, first of all, that this is a quotation from Psalm 68:18, And let me read that. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for man, yea, for the rebellious also, but the Lord God might dwell there. Now, somebody says, say, there seems to be a discrepancy here in the quotation. It says back in Psalms, he received. Now, here it says he gave. And by the way, may I say that any author has a right to change his own writings, but nobody else does. Uh, man quoted me in an article, but he misquoted me. And believe me, the publisher had to back up and apologize for misquoting. Now, I have a right to misquote my own writing. If I want to, it serves a purpose. Now, the Holy Spirit changes this, but he does it for a purpose. Why? Back in the book of Psalms, the Lord Jesus had the gifts just ready back yonder as he's at God's right hand. And now that he's been here and he now has gone back in the Spirit of God is the one that today is distributing the gifts, then he gave them, did he not? I think this is very accurate. Now, this, of course, is a reference, I think, to the ascension of Christ. At that time, when he ascended, he did two things. He led captivity captive. And I believe that means that those of the Old Testament who were redeemed but were in paradise, and Christ took them with him out of paradise, yonder into the very presence of God. Because we're told today, when you die, you don't go to paradise, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, we're told he did something else. He gave gifts unto man. Now, that means that he conferred gifts upon living believers in the church that they might witness to the world. Now, you see, at his ascension, he did two things. He took these Old Testament saints in the presence of God. Then he gave gifts. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, baptized them into the body of believers, but he put them in in a certain place to function as a member of the body. And he's been doing that ever since. Now, verses 9 and 10. Now that he ascended, what is it unless that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? He that descended, he it is also who ascended, high above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, I believe that the logical explanation here is since Christ has ascended, he must have descended at some previous time. And some see in this only the incarnation. For instance, the early church fathers, though, they saw in it 
the work of Christ in bringing the Old Testament saints out of paradise up to the throne of God. Now, it's not necessary to assume that he entered into some form of suffering after death. For instance, when he descended into hell, we're told, what does that mean? Well, he descended into the place where the dead were. And his incarnation and death were his humiliation and descent. And they were adequate to bring the redeemed of the Old Testament into the presence of God. I think that's what we have here in this passage. And I recognize there are other interpretations. Now, we have in verses 11 and 13, "...and he himself gave some." Now, you'll notice that I'm now reading my own translation. I trust it might be helpful. "...and he himself gave some apostles and some prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers." Now, he didn't give them to become that. These are not gifts that he's giving to these men, although he had done that. What he's saying, then he took these men who have certain gifts and he gives them to the church. For what purpose? In order to the perfecting or the equipping of the saints under the work of ministering and building up of the body of Christ till we all attain under the unity of the faith and of the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a full-grown man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this may sound selfish. I trust it's not. What's the purpose of the church in the world? It's to complete itself, might grow up. Now, he himself here is very emphatic. And he himself, the Lord Jesus is the one who gave the gifts. And he is the one that has given them. He's the one that has the authority. Now, he gave some that were given the gift of an apostle that they are given now to the church. For what purpose? That the apostle might do, as Paul says, Paul an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father raised him from the dead. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this office, by virtue of its very nature, has long since disappeared from the church. Now, prophets here, I think, are used as they are elsewhere in the epistle. They're New Testament prophets. And I think it means preachers. These men were given, as were the apostles, particular insight into the doctrines of the faith. And they were under the immediate influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which distinguishes them, I think, from teachers today, although they were preachers in their day. Now, evangelists were not what we think of as evangelists. They were traveling missionaries. Paul was an evangelist in that sense. He went into new territory. There was no committee there or organization to set up a campaign. I tell you, he did it all himself, and the Spirit of God went before him. Now, pastors here mean shepherds, and teachers are those that instructed the flock. Now, these gifted men were given to the church that it might be brought to full maturation, perfecting, ministering, and building up. That was the purpose of it. Now, we'll have to leave off there today. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. 
If you're not sure about the spiritual gifts that God has given you, or you'd like to spend a bit more time studying this topic, then I suggest you download Dr. McGee's free digital booklet titled Gifts of the Spirit. You know, it's just one of the more than 100 free booklets and Bible companions that are available for download at ttb.org, and they cover a large range of topics. So if you're grappling with a question about the Bible, or maybe you just want to go deeper in your study, then head over to the site and take a look. TTB.org is also where you can download Dr. McGee's notes and outlines for our study and our new Bible companions and the one specifically for Ephesians. These are both such helpful tools as we make our way through God's Word. So again, download your free copies today. You'll find them and more at ttb.org. Oh, and a quick note, Dr. McGee's notes and outlines are also available on our app, and a Kindle version can be purchased at Amazon.com. And if you've got questions about this ministry or the many unique ways that we make Dr. McGee's teaching available, you can reach us by phone at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Did you know that there's power in negative thinking? It's true. We'll learn all about it next time as we continue our fascinating five-year journey through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus and bring a friend along for the ride. Jesus came Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.